the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024, these are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Many, many records were cut in Jamaica in the 60s. Ska, Rocksteady, Reggae, probably too many for any one person to ever listen to. But if you've spent even just a little time listening to music from this era, you've definitely heard Stranger Cole's Ska song, Rough and Tough, or his duet with Patsy Todd, When You Call My Name, or his duet with Ken Booth, Uno Dos Tres, or how about the first reggae song ever recorded, Bangarang. The point is, Stranger Cole is a Jamaican legend, and he's still out there touring the world, bringing his music to adoring fans everywhere. He'll be in L.A. on March 18th at the El Rey Theater with L.A. trad ska group Steady 45s as his backup band. But first, he came on our show to tell his story. We don't have a lot of the living legends from the beginning of ska still with us, but one of those living legends, Stranger Cole. Yeah, we were lucky enough to have him on the show. Aaron, what's your favorite Stranger Cole song? It's hard to beat Rough and Tough, his classic ska song. Okay. But I think I might go with uh, Bangarang, the first reggae song ever. My favorite song is Crying Every Night. Oh, yeah? Do you relate to that? (laughs) (laughs) I just, I like the kind of like minor key ska stuff. And I like to see that it was happening way back when. We were talking a little before the intro, uh, before we started recording about how, um, you know, you've been playing in the U.S. a lot in more recent years. I was talking to Junior, Junior Francis. He's the one that's booking you for this upcoming show. And I know you've worked with him for a while. Oh, yeah. The first time he recalls working with you for a show was in 2006 for the Hollywood Ska and Reggae Festival. Do you remember that show? Yeah, it was a great show. Very great, great show. I remember that show, you know? Yes. So you were on that show. Ken Booth was. Yeah. Leroy Sibley. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of remember that show. It was a great show. You, Roy, was supposed to play, but I think something happened and he wasn't able to make it. He's on the flyer and then, uh, yeah, Junior said he wasn't able to make it. I don't know the reason, but yeah. Okay. Neither do I. Yeah. (laughs) 
And you were backed by a group that uh, they put together called, they called themselves the LA All-Star Review. And I think Queen P was the one kind of leading that group. Yeah. I don't remember all the name, but I remember faces, you know? Yes. Was that, do you remember if that was the first time you did a U.S. show or were you playing before then? Oh, I played in the U.S. before that, but the first time in California. Oh, okay. What did you think of California? Oh, I think of California beautiful. And to tell you the truth about California, I live in California for about four years, you know? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to be in LA a lot in many of the clubs, them and all of these. Kingston 20 and uh, Kingston 12, some of those clubs around there and all of that. Yeah. Nice. Yes, California is, is Jamaica. <laughs> but I, 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 hear, I heard it on the news that they are having a lot of snow there in some part of California. Yeah, all the way down to uh, 500 feet, I think we were getting snow. So even parts of LA were getting snow this last weekend. Yeah, I hope there won't be any snow when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I mean, I live in a snow country for a long time too. I was living in Canada and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of have a little knowledge about snow, but I, I, I don't think I can take any more of the too many snow mm -hmm. in this time. Yeah, I'm I'm not personally a big fan of snow. I definitely don't like driving driving in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just for contrast, because you told me this before we started recording. You said you're in Jamaica and it's uh what temperature? You said it was 90, 95 degrees in the shade. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yes, that's that's the um third world song. 96 degree. Yeah. In the shade. Yeah. Mm. I, I was a I was just humor in third world. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's about that in Jamaica at this moment. Yeah. So what I'm curious about is what what was it like to work with some of these backing bands? I mean, I know there's LA All Star Review, and then you've worked with a number of bands. You know, Junior has set up shows for you. Chuck Wren has set up shows for you with bands. Yes, I I I, I really have a story on that. You know, maybe I could write a book. Ah. <laughs> uh, because, uh, yeah, I, I, I have sung with so many bands in my lifetime all over the world. And the funniest thing about these bands that I play with, they know my music so much, you know. Some of the time, they have to remind me of some parts in my <laughs> own music, you know. They just know it, you know. And uh, I'm so happy to be playing some great bands in the world. Yes. But the thing that really occurs to me most time, you you never to hear about musician playing music and all of that. That you always hear about the people who up front, like on Stranger Cole and Derek Mark and Monty Morris and all these guys. Yeah, you never you never to hear much about the musician, which I think this is something that should be turned around where musicians must get a lot of credit because, in fact, and in truth, they are the ones that create the music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was said that I was sitting on the first reggae music. Mm -hmm. But I sing, I sing on a music. I didn't make reggae music. It was the musician who made the reggae music. And I... And I sang the first song and that rhythm, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure, yeah. Yes. So I need to um, hear more credit for 
musician. Yes. I, I was talking to uh, Aaron Porter, who's uh, in this band called the Prize Fighters, who backed you in uh, Chicago in 2012. Yes. Great band. And he told me that um, they spent months, like months preparing your music. Yes, they were very good. And and so they basically prepared like more songs than needed. Like they basically said, here's a whole bunch of songs. And then you came and sort of picked which ones you wanted. Is that is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, that was really great, you know? Yeah. And they would play all those songs them that they had for me, but it it would make me work too much for one night, you know. <laughs> So did you, when you, like in that kind of situation, did you have an idea of your set list or did you want to kind of hear the bands, what they had and how they were playing them before you chose the songs? No, I, I have an idea of my set list, mm -hmm. but some, sometimes a musician or someone asks me to do a special song and if we could work on that one, then I would fit it in my schedule. There's a clip from that show where you're playing rough and tough and you, uh, you stop the band and you do a rewind. I was wondering if you can explain to people what a rewind is. Okay. I thought more or less, maybe I have the wrong idea to it when a person said rewind or wheel up. It has so many different meanings, you know? Sure, but what's, what's your meaning? What's your meaning for it? Uh, well, my meaning for it is like all the meanings, you know? <laughs> but the different... The, <laughs> All the meaning. Because, when, <laughs> yeah, because, because, for instance, if you're singing a song and then, you know, you're not perfect and maybe you forgot a line or forgot something, you can rewind or wheel up and come again. Yeah. You hear that one? Yeah. And in another case, you can don't remember anything completely. So you rewind and wheel up until you get it back. Maybe the musician didn't start it in the right speed. Maybe out of key, out of card, whatever. And the rewind helped to fix yeah. things. So it, it, it's have a lot of different features depending on what is happening at the moment. I noticed in that clip and other, other clips of just rewinds in general, I've noticed that when the musician says rewind and the band starts, the audience is just okay. That is another. That is another part of it too. Sometimes they, you, you're trying to um, what I would say, get the get the audience blazing. Yeah, give them give, give them a vibes then you know, and you would try to wheel up and make some funny moves like the things I would do, and you know, it kind of get the people moving to what you are really doing you know yeah <laughs> yeah so so it have many different phases of rewind and forward depends on the position do you ever do two rewinds in a row stranger oh yes <laughs> i want to tell you i, I want to tell you the truth it, um it's not really my thing you know because i'm from the 16 we don't rewind on a forward and all that you just do your song, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but sometimes we as the older artists, we have to still learn from the younger artists, you know, and get some of their grooves and fit it in with your old groove just to be in what is happening at the moment, you know? Sure. So I got all that rewind and 
wheel upon all of that from the younger youth them, you know? And and it worked. It, it worked for me. The reason why it worked for me so much, I'm a whole guy in it. And when a guy over there hear me say, Mumma no want bang around, I must say, wheel up. Oh, you get mad and crazy. Cause he said, Hey, that old guy is great, man. Yeah, you're doing some of the young boys thing them, you know. <laughs> so it helped me too, you know? Yeah. Yes. That's mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> All right. So um so going back to your young your early history, you're you're from Jonestown originally, but you grew up in Trenchtown? Yeah. Well yeah. I didn't have to interview with you. You know all my stories, don't you? <laughs> we like it when you tell them, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, it's like when you're saying it to me, you're reminding me because I forget some of these things, you know? Sure. But, sure. yes, I, I was born in um, in Jonestown and grew up in Trenchtown. Grew up in Denupton, all west. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, you, you could call me the king of the west. <laughs> Can you tell a little bit about how, what got you into singing? I know it involved a, a school dance, right? Yes. Okay. What involved me in singing? Like I say before, um, music was in my DNA from my family parents and all of these things. My dad, my uncle used to play with um, Ernest Wrangling, my brother. He's a disc jockey for Jukrit Sound System and all of these things. So, um, I thought more or less that it was in my genes to do music, you know, just something that came to me naturally. You know? Yeah. Also, my, my son, which I've spoken about, the music came to him very early because he, he started performing internationally at the age of 14. That's Squidly Cole. And he were playing with people like Jimmy Cliff and all that, like Muta Baruka, you know, and the same thing for me. I started out very early in my about 16, 17, you know? Yeah. So it's a, a, the music thing running our genes. That is how it started, really. And you said earlier that, uh, you know, the, the musicians that you're playing with, you know, they, they play ska and reggae. And so you sing over ska and reggae. Do you think if, if you'd at 16, if there'd been a different type of music happening, you would have just sang over that? Yes, I would just sing over that because in the, those times I didn't know. I, I listened to music, but I didn't know what music was all about. I, did, I didn't know many timing and a lot of things that I know now. So I was just writing my song, you know, like I write 99% of my song. So I just write my song and sing my song and hoping that when I go to the musician, they can play my song. And, mm. and and it worked that way for me. Nice. Mm -hmm. You did like a, a school dance thing, and then I think a friend a friend suggested that you should audition for Duke Reed. Yes, you got it so right. Tell us about that. Okay, um, I was going to schools at the same time, but I was going to like a like a high school, you know, a comprehensive school, a little bigger than the elementary school. And I, I was um, studying chemistry, right? but I used to be singing around my friend, all of them in the class and around me know that I love to sing and all of that. So they had the end of the year, a breaking up thing, end of the year term, holiday, 
so they make a party and then at the party i heard the teacher said um mr cole is gonna sing a song for us <laughs> by this time i didn't know that my friends put up my name to sing you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah but there was another call in the class too and i look around on him and him said no man it's not me it's you <laughs> they used to call me call me pro in that time i said it's you pro oh my and i was so nervous Anyway, I went up and I sang um, a Wilfred Jackie Edwards song called um, Tell Me Darling. Mm. And uh, I, um, I get clapped from everybody. I'll teach it too. So I felt very well. I think that was my first audience, you know? Yeah. And then they say I was so good, I should sing another song. And I sang another Jackie Edwards song because he was one of my favorite artists. He still is. And I got two ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> what what flavor, stranger? I did. I don't remember what flavor. Oh, but I on. hope. But I no. I, I I wish, and I hope it was rum and raisin. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna, just gonna we're just gonna go with rum and raisin. I think that'll be what it is. If it wasn't even that, I would say rum yeah. and raisin. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then um, I was tutored by some of my friends uh, that I should go and try out Mr. Reed because my at the same time my brother was a number one this jacket. And then I thought more or less that it would be, make it much easier for me to see Mr. Reed. Did, did you have to set up a meeting or did you just walk into his? No, I just go down there like any regular guy and you would see all 20, 30 odd people want to go and make a record and okay. all of that, you know? Yeah, but I was known down there as a Cutting's little brother because of my brother playing the sound. So they know me, you know? Mm-hmm. And see me in the line and know that I came to um, Mr. Reed hear what I am. Anyway, that happened. And I went into Mr. Reed and him said, um, Cutting's little brother, let me hear what you have to say. And then I sing a few songs. I have an old exercise song, you know, because I write song every day. And then I start to sing, man. And then I reach one called Two Little Blackbirds Sat on the Wall, one named Pete and one named Paul. That one was sung by Monty Morris. Anyway, the story is when I sung that song for him, he liked it very much. And he said to me, boy, this is a nice song, but you can't sing it, man. You can't sing it. <laughs> say, him say, I have two guys who are bad, you know. One named Derek Morgan and one named Monty Morris. Him say, I go and give one of them this song and put your name on it as the writer. I say, yes, Mr. Reed. Thank you very much. <laughs> and when and uh, yeah, and when him record um in and out the window, it's called. It go, it went number one. And Duke called me and said to me, Oh, since you can write those kind of songs, you must can sing some of them too. <laughs> and this was the opportunity I wanted. So on that same day, he told me that he would love me to sing one song by myself. And I must go and see this lady called Patsy and tell her to sing a song with me because he, he thought more or less that I have a voice like Derek Morgan. And Derek Morgan wasn't in the country at the time. So um, mm. I, I I went to Miss Potsy and told her Mr. Reed said she should sing a song. 
with me and she said, okay. And on that session, I sang two number one. It, one is called Rough and Tough and When You Call My Name. And from that is Pure Green Light. Did, so these are, are these both songs you wrote? All of them. Yeah. So what's your writing process? Like, how do you go about writing these songs? Oh, my. <laughs> That's a long story, you know? Okay. We got time. I, 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 uh, I never sit down with a book and a pen and decide that I'm going to write a song today. It doesn't go that way for me. I, I get sung by inspiration, by moments, by people saying something, by the wind blowing. Them kind of style, there, you know. I, 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 a song don't you don't go to a song. A song come to you, and that is how I write song. Like I could hear the song before I sing it. And then, how do you how do you hold on to it though? Like having having the the song come to you is one thing, but then once you have that have that spark, how do you how do you capture it? Just go straight and record it. No, you you grab your pen and your book for me for memories, you know. Then the pen and then paper comes. Yeah, in. yeah, 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 yeah. You t- start to take note of what you start to singing about. Yeah, right? and and then the rest of it become easy because the whole thing is a story, it's a composition. So from you get the first few topic of what you're dealing with, then the rest of it is like easy. Yeah. Do you remember when you wrote Rough and Tough? The inspiration behind that? I don't know. It just came from. It just came from nowhere. Yeah, it's like I said, it was blowing in the wind, <laughs> and I just grab it. What about the lyrics? Because it, it has kind of a. The lyrics are your. It sounds like you're speaking to the unruly, the unruly youth. Yeah, well, the song was um based upon that. You know, it's like you are too rude. So who are you that I you. Yeah, you, you, you know, you run for refuge and all of these things mean that you know people love you, you know, and you lie and bite the and you become so yes, but the good you do will live after you, you know. So like I'm saying, be good then in another way. Yeah. Be good. Yeah, be good. Yes. So um you get to record these two songs. Yeah. You you work with uh the Scottalites? Oh yeah, all the three songs that was in the beginning for me. It's um it's the scatterlight. But I have an extra story which I never um talk about a lot, you know. Oh, we'd love love to hear it. Yeah, I have to start to fit it in. The very first song I ever sing in my life was with a a a, a man called Roy Ponton, you know. He used to sing with Millie Small, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for Cox and all of that. But the first song I ever sang, it was with Roy Panton uh, at Treasure Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the very first one I do before I did the Eric Monty thing and the next one with Patsy and all of that. So I have to try to remember that part of my life, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never did too well, really. Maybe that's why you didn't hear about it. Or maybe I didn't talk about it too much. Yeah, but that's the truth. I'm really curious, though, what it was like to work with Scottalites. Uh, did you just come in and sing the song? And did they just say, Here, here's the music? Or did you did you guys discuss it a little bit? Well, uh, well, well, the whole thing about Jamaica music, you know, you 
you, you, you never go into the um into the studio with all musicians to make a record. They always have a person like um Gladstone Anderson mm -hmm. who, who have sung um just like a river with that guy, one of Jamaica's greatest pianists. Well, he used to be working with Jukrit. He, he worked with um, everybody, really. Yeah. But 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 for an artist to reach inside of the recording studio, then you have to go to people like Gladdy, and then you you rehearse your song with him, and then he give you a good key that you're supposed to sing in, and find out from you if you can sing in timing and on key and all of these little things. And then if you pass him by doing that, Mr. Reed would record you because he already select your song. It's just for you to pass the musical test. <laughs> then you go to the studio. Yeah. So it's not a long session. It's a quick session. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because um, oh, all of my two number one it, that I did in the beginning, you know, I did them at a one cut, you know, you know, one cut one time. Yeah. Yeah. Just one time intro. And everything. Because you see, in the early days of recording in Jamaica, it's not like nowadays you can make many mistakes and they fix it and do all kind of thing. You have to be perfect for one cut. If one person make a mistake, then you have to do the whole thing over again. So the musician didn't like when an artist come in and give them any problem. Mm -hmm. And if you do your song one time and it wasn't so good and them say one more time and it's not so good, they're going to put you out the studio <laughs> until you go and practice your song and all of these things. <laughs> so I, I really came into the hard days of music, you know, but I used to have a technique for all of these things. Because if I'm going to, to the studio tomorrow to sing a song, I think I rehearsed the song by myself maybe for a hundred times, you know. I'm not kidding, you know. All when I'm sleeping, I'm singing the song. Yeah. So you see, so you see the next day when I go in the studio, I, I, I can't miss a word, you know. It's like you can wake me up and I sing my song, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and that was the thing about the early days music, you know. Yeah, it wasn't so easy because the musician worked by, uh, call it said they working ten dollars, twenty dollars, whatever number you want to put in it. The more the more song they can play for the day, is the more money they make. So if an artist come in and keeping up the time and all of that, they're not going to make money because in those times you rent the studio for a period of time and then you want to accumulate as many songs and records that you can in this space of time. So the musician wants want you to come in and them count it down. One, two, three, four, around three minutes and 45 seconds, it's finished. Next one. <laughs> and you understand? Yeah. And then the thing roll. So that was the rough days of the music for me, really. But the Scatterlight, as you say, well, Jamaica greatest band, you know, it, it Scatterlight is me with these great musicians, you know, I don't want to call them names. Each one of them in this catalyte is so, so great. I bet it's the same for the musicians too. 
if they can't if yes. they can't get the song in one maybe two takes they're out yeah oh, oh yes you are yeah oh yeah and, and and that was a good thing for the artist too it makes you more firm in doing what you're doing you know yeah yeah because you know when you go go in the studio it's not a joke thing in it you're serious you know and even now with being able to fix things with new technology it's always better if everybody can just play it together and do it the first time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the best one. Can you talk a little bit about what, um, what Duke Reed was like? Yeah. I, I hear a lot of story about Duke Reed, but I was very close to Duke Reed, you know, cause I was, I was like a, a man who select artists to um, go into the studio and all that. So after a while I become one of them, him scout, like, you know, I could listen to some artists and, let them go up to Gladi and because he, 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 he trusted me that way that I, I, I know what is happening so much that I can listen to some other artists and let them come in the studio. So I was close to Mr. Reed and all because of my brother to one of So I, I didn't see no to any bad way of him. The only way which frightened a lot of people is that when you're making a a big hit record in the studio and all that. Maybe he would take out his gun and fire a shot. Like when my call, when I call your name and them tongue, them bust two gunshots, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but apart from that, he, he's a great man, nice person. But he just um he, he carry around his gun, like about three guns, because he had this big rec arm wholesaler, you know, liquor store. Yeah, and then maybe he just take carriage gun to scare some people from taking his stuff and all of that. But yeah, apart from that, a uh, great man, very great man, you know, very great man. Was it pretty common for people to carry around guns to ward people off? No, n- not not around those times. In this time, it's co- it's common for anybody to carry a gun in Jamaica. You don't have to have license to carry a gun in Jamaica anymore. In those days, you have to have a license, you know. There's so much guns in Jamaica, you know. It's like you can walk on the street and find it. Mm. But so Duke, I mean, he he had the liquor store, um, the studio. I mean, he had a lot of stuff that he was responsible for. Oh, yes. You have so many different um, sounds. You have about three different sets. Number one, number two, number three. Make it's like he can play at three different places on one night. And his it, thing was very big, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very big. Yeah, very big. How often was, was he in the studio when uh, the band was recording s- songs? Not too often. Not too often? No, not too often. He always have some people that do that kind of a work for him. He wasn't a man who come in the studio and to tell you too many things. He may have an idea. But about people like my brother, um, Cottins and Gladstone Anderson and myself and some more key artists in those days, you know, Alton Ellis and them guys who he, he re- rely on us to um to do good stuff. I see. And, yeah. And the scat and the scatterlight, they 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 super. Yeah. Can't beat the scatterlights, yeah. Yeah, no, no, whatever they, they try to do the best every time, you know. So when 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 you go in the studio and the scatterlight playing and you see Dan Germans and Roland and Fonzo and Lester, 
sterling and all of these great people. Oh my, <laughs> you get the best. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you get the best, man. True. You mentioned that uh, you he trusted you enough to uh, scout uh, out artists. Sometimes um, Ken Booth was one of those people, right? Oh yes, I took Ken Booth myself to the studio because I more or less he was a great artist and. He, he was living in the same neighborhood as I in Denham Town. So um, when I met Ken Bode, I really had about three number one songs. And he always come around the corner where I rehearse and all that. would send Jamaica in my yard around the corner, you know? And then he come around there one day and hear me singing. And so I like singing too. And, you know, we start to jam and him and all that. And I realized that him was a great artist too, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I and him start to rehearse in some of my songs that I write and all of that. And then I promised him that I would take him with me one day to the studio to record a song. So I took him to Mr. Reed and um, introduced him. Mr. Reed didn't too like him at the moment, but... um. <laughs> I, t I, I told Mr. Reed that he was going to sing with me. So Mr. Reed said it was okay. So we sang the first song called Una Does Chess. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and that is the beginning of a long story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that song was also a hit for you, right? Yes, Una Does Chess. Yes, with Stranger and Ken. And then I am um, scouting other people like the, the techniques. Uh, I took the techniques to um to Treasure Island and they sang a song called Little Did You Know, which went number one. Mm -hmm. And they and a place called Love, I can't remember that. And there goes the techniques, you know, and out of the techniques become the um the reggae boys who sing over Mighty Diamonds called their family too and all of that. So I'm involved with those guys too. Yes. I, I um introduced people like um Ijam and Levi to the treasure Isle thing. And I recorded the first song with the Mighty Diamonds. Oh yeah. Called yeah, called Oh No Baby. So and I do a lot of things that some of them I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, another long story, yeah. Mm -hmm. I sing with everybody. I sing with Altanelis, Herald, Dunkley. Monte Maritz, you I sing with the tiny, I sing with the Eptons. I could go on and on. I sing with so many people. Did you prefer to do um duets? Yes, I, I always prefer um harmony. I love to hear sweet music. So I always love to hear harmony. Sometimes I even do some song by myself just leading and I would do another double chuck or another two more chucks mm -hmm. just to make it so sweet, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I really love harmony. I love harmony. I think harmony, yeah, harmony should be in every song. Yeah. Do you prefer harmonizing with others or with yourself? No, with others better yeah. because you get a better vibe, you know, a different yeah. feeling, you know? And I, I harmonize with some great guys. Pat Kelly, Slim Smith, you know, Winston Jarrett, the Eptones, you know, no? those guys are some wicked harmony, man. Chosen, few, <laughs> and oh, it's too much of them, man. Yes. Bad harmony, man. Them. Tumblings, you know, but these guys can sing. Yeah. <laughs> so you, 
So when you would go in, say for like, um, when you call my name with Patsy Todd, you, you both of you would have to sing together, you know, one, one take basically. Yeah, definitely. One, yeah, one take, one microphone too. That must've been a little more challenging because you can't really, you can prepare yourself, but you can't prepare your partner. Yeah, but we used to have great engineering. You know, you used to have a man, um, you think he came out of Australia, was one of Jamaica's greatest technicians. Mm. His name was um, Mr. Goodall. His name is Brian Goodall. You know, this thing always amazed me. I love to talk. Maybe I'm talking too much, but this amazed me because um, Mr. Goodall was one, one of the engineers, the number one engineer at the time in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. With um, uh, uh, um, he used to be that federal student. And what amazing to me, is the amount of musician that is playing in the studio where they have to put microphones at some of them at the, in the bass, at the foot of the drum, microphone, microphone all about for the arms, man, microphone. <laughs> and then four guy would be singing like the techniques and then put the four of them around one <laughs> microphone. <laughs> and then, you know, and then when him say, okay, run down the song for me, and, we, and them start to sing. Him say, you with a big voice, yes, you, go back a little more. And you with a little tiny voice, you come up a little more. Run it, let me hear it now. Oh, yes, it's ready. Yeah. And they make it, uh, it, it is still amazing to me how that happened. And I mean, it leaks, the mic must leak. Somehow, but I don't know how it didn't leak that much. And if you play those records right now, all that I talk about, it sounds so clean to me. Yeah. Yes, I'm still wondering you know, if that was a mystery or a magic. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. So the olden days of the music was very rough. But we, we are in technology now. I can make any amount of mistake and fix it, right? Yeah. Do you still go in uh, rehearsing like you used to before you go in and record now? Oh, yes. No, that is the best part of it, to practice your song. That's when you go inside a studio. You don't have to have a book in front of your face to distract you. You can just sing out of your head. You can just close your eyes and sing your song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, when you have to look on paper in the studio and all of that, you're not getting the real thing, you know? Yeah, you don't, you're not as in touch with the emotion of the music when you're still... No, no, you're just reading it. And yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you have to practice it, you know? Practice what you preach. <laughs> so so there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's an old documentary from 1964 called This Is Ska that was made by the BBC. And... Uh, Okay, you're you're in it, and I I believe it was at the Sombrero Club. Okay, I'm really curious about uh, any anything you can tell us about this whole process. You, you you mean that one one with Byron Lee? Yes, Byron Lee's in there. I think Edward Siega hosted it. Okay, yes, it was the Byron Lee syndrome. You know, I, um, maybe you know a lot much more than me and all of that in in a sense of the business because. Uh, I'm still waiting to get some pay from all of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, that was the Byron Lee syndrome where um, in those times um, they, 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 they classified the, um, the music as, um, 
as a downtown music, really. Like Sky is um, downtown. Like every music come from the city, really, most of the time. So um, Sky and all these music was um, was, um said um, by uptown people that it was a downtown thing, really. So, um, but Byron Lee was coming good in it um, during the scatterlight days. He was the one of the band that was playing a lot of scat too and taking us around Jamaica, me and Jimmy Cliff and all of us those time, right, Ponton and the Blue Busters and quite a few of us, you know, used to tour with us around Jamaica, really. Mm -hmm. So... So he decided in that segment to take me up to the Sambira Club, like an uptown party where the the uptowners come really, cause these people don't come downtown. Sure, I think I think you can see it in the picture. You know, people dressed up properly and some big guys. So that was the breaking of that show at the Sambira Club. Yeah, I was on it too, and then they have. More than one version of it. Yeah. Because they have a version with Prince Buster and other people and the mates. And you have about two parts of it. I always assumed or I always uh, kind of figured that it was not necessarily an accurate representation of what the music scene was like itself. But it was more for, I guess, because it was made by the BBC. It was for the for people in England. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're feeling about it as well. Well, uh, I want to tell you the truth. I really never go into the feeling of it, really. You know, I just look at it and know that, oh, Stranger Call is on it too. And then I think more or less I should be still getting some money from it. So that is the part I really look into most of <laughs> sure, all. Sure, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think it's all good too, you know, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, anything to promote the music and to promote you as an artist. It's very good because um maybe I didn't get the pay that day for the song. Um but when I did the song, people liked the song. And then you now today I can sing the same song all over the world and get the money. And I can do some dub plate and get the money. And I can do a commercial and get the money. So when you look at the old thing, you know, I'm not ungrateful. I'm very grateful. Because we survive anyway, we still make. Yeah. And if I di if I didn't do the recording in the time when I didn't get nothing, I could be going on some show now, singing the same song and getting the money. So God have a way to do things, you know. So when we kind of move into the rock steady, rock steady era, mid sixties, you start working with more people besides Duke Reed. Oh yes, I well, well from I do no, well um. First thing I must say, the 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 the, the reggae the scar was slowing down, you know. Because if you listen to um when you call my name and um and rough and tough, it, it, it's a slower scar than the really of tempered scar. So you could hear in that vein where the music was kind of changing, like to a slower thing, really. Yeah. What do you think, in your opinion, affected that that slower tempo going from ska to rock steady? Yeah, well, 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 you have a lot of claims on it, you know, and people do things, and then I have to agree to most of the time. <laughs> it was said that um, uh, Opton Lewis came into the sky but it was too fast for him. I hear he said that many times, and 
interviews and all of that. Mm -hmm. So he asked Gladys to slow it down. And that is where he think more or less the rock steady uh -huh. came out of. So I would agree, you know? Yeah. I sure. would agree, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. The, the, one of the ones I've heard, which always struck me as being more, uh, didn't, didn't seem real, is that, oh, it was a really hot summer that year and no one could play the music fast. That always seemed like a, like a, like a fun story, but not, probably not true. Yeah. But what you say sounds m much more plausible. <laughs> Well, you know, I, some of the things them I just can't comment on them because most of the time I hear so many different stories about certain things. You know, sometimes I don't want to overrun some people's story and they think that I'm saying this and I know too much thing and all of that. So sometimes I just pass and I like in Domino, I just say I pass. <laughs> <laughs> don't step on anybody's feet that way. <laughs> yeah. So, in the early days, you worked exclusively with Duke Reed. Um, what what prompted you to start working with other people? More money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, more money because um, when I when when I make those hit song with um Duke Reed, almost every producer wants a song from me, you know, because I'm the, I am a guy of the time, you know. Yeah. Everybody wants a little piece of me, so I. I, I start to sing for like everybody. Yeah, because I love singing more than even money. I get to love money more nowadays. But <laughs> in those, in those, yeah, they teach me to love money. Yeah, but in those days, I, it's just music for me. You know, I just want to sing. You know, I, I mean, some of that is still inside of me, but I want some money still, you know? Sure. You gotta, you gotta eat. You gotta live, right? Oh, oh yes. I am. I have my kids. Them and all that. Them looking for daddy for bring home some money and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you brought up Bengarang earlier, um, which is considered the, to be the first reggae song. I'd love for you to tell the story about how Bengarang came about. Okay. Um, I, I I was living in Denham Town, which is like a adjoining city to um. To where Treasure Isle was. Maybe it's Denham Town, I don't remember, but it was very close by. So I could walk from my home to pass Jew Creed Studio and his place. So I was passing there one day, and um, someone downstairs told me that um, Bonnie Lee was upstairs recording. And I say, Oh my, yes, Chai Kali, man, I'm a friend, man, my brethren, which is true. I hadn't been to the same school over time and all of that. So um, I went upstairs and I saw Bonnie Lee. And he said, um, Pro, they used to call me Pro. They still do. I said, Pro, I have a tune here, you know. An instrumental song. And, but I don't like some voice in it and all of that. And then he said, the song is called Bongo Chant. Mm. And then, yeah. Yeah, it's called Bongo Chant. And then he plays the melody for me. It's a ta da 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 da. And then I just start to sing, Woman, no want Bongo Rang. And him say, Yes, bro, that is it. And we recorded just like that. So that is the way it really came. So then it became Bongo Rang. Yes. And that, by the way, for people who don't know what that means, that, that just is another word for problem, right? Yes, Bangarang is problem. I have a dog with the same name right now. You know, <laughs> my son had 
my son had to go and cool him down a while ago because he make a lot of noise and all of that. And I have to have him on chains because he bite anybody that come in. He may even want to bite me, you know? So you <laughs> see, that is really bang around <laughs> for you. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, so that is how Bangaran came, really, you know? How, how did that song do when it was released originally? Oh, very well. It went number one. It's still a number one song. It is the first reggae song that was told by not really me, because I, I don't love to say something just for my sake, but that is what they say, you know? So uh, since they say that, I'm going to just hold on to it. So Bunny Lee uh, and the other, a lot of the musicians that you did that song with, didn't they go on to play with Bob Marley shortly after that? Oh, definitely. These are the same people who, who, who become Bob Marley and the Whalers. Family man, Barrett and his brother, all of that crew, they become um, um, the, the upsetters first with only oh, Scotch wow. Perry. Yeah, and then, after, then they turned the Whalers. I think I'm right there. When you heard the song they were playing, did it seem, you know, we're saying it's the first reggae song. Did it seem unique to you or did it just sound like? No, I didn't like it. You didn't like it? No, no, no. It, it sounds stupid to me because <laughs> I, I can't believe I can't believe I'm singing a song with one line and nothing more. I just, no one banger. I just think so. Oh. People is gonna be so ashamed of me doing it, you know. But it turned out, <laughs> it turned out so well. Yeah. I think, like a lot of people, might know "Bangarang" or "Rough and Tough" as your as your maybe most well known songs. But I think you were saying in an interview that uh, "Uno Dos Tres" was your most the song that you got the most money from. No, but, um, the song that I made the most money from is called um 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 what's its name again. A.A. Baby. A.A. Baby. Okay. Yeah, that was sung by me and Patsy Tad, you know? Millicent Tad, yeah. A.A. Baby. I made the most money out of that because it gave me somewhere to live. So, I, I it, maybe it's not my best song, but um, it is the most recognized song in my life. Oh, interesting. Okay. Are you saying it bought you a place to live? Yes. You bought a house off that one? This is where I live right now in Washington Garden, where Amazing. that song gave me the money to buy. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So we move forward in the 70s. You moved to Canada, Toronto, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, you initially, you moved there uh, to just work that's like a normal job, like for Tonka, I think, right? Yes. Were you feeling like music was not happening so much anymore or do you needed a change of pace no not really uh i i went to canada because of a relative of mine my uncle really he's a singer from way back when i didn't even call his name but he, he's from the days of um singing in some little club with some little band it wasn't in the days of recording so you know i love him still he's not here right now hmm. anyway that uncle um, um, came to Jamaica and asked me if I want to come to Canada, you know, and I, I think more or less, you know, in that time in Jamaica, I was stranger cold still and all that. But I think if I travel and try to another place in the world to live, maybe something could change for me, which it did. Mm -hmm. 
so I went to Canada and um, I lived there for a while. I, when I went there, there wasn't too many things happening like in the music industry then. So I, I, I got a job, you know, I was taught how to run a machine and things like that. So I got a job and started to work at a place called Tanker Toys where they make toys and all of that, you know? Yeah. And yeah, during those times that I was a Tanker Toy, I um I met a friend from a place called um Kensington Market in Jewtown. Like a marketplace, so he told me he had a store down there where he sell carpet and all of that. And if I want to come and open the next little business right in there too, like it would help the carpet to sell more or whatever. So I took the place and I opened a little record store in the Kensington Market, which is in the archive of Toronto, mm-hmm. because of because of it being one of the first. Caribbean thing to yeah be in that area. Call it's called R- Roots Record Store was the name of it. Oh yes, it's all over. Yes, Stranger Cole Roots Record, something like and carpet, something like. <laughs> that. So you get you get all your uh, records and all your carpet in one shop. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, and it, it was very well for me. Done very well for me, but they wanted was to renovate the place and thing like that. So I had to close the store. And then I went to the USA for a little while and then to Jamaica and here I am, baby. Yeah. So so you opened the store in nineteen seventy eight? Yes, around there. I can I can't put my finger on number really nowadays, but it's around those times. So so a few years after you opened the store, somebody um uh, R- Ranny Ranny Bop Williams, he opens a record store across the street from you. Yeah, 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 you know the old story. Yes. Ronnie Batman, yes, a good friend of mine, good guitarist, you know. I even make record for him while he was right there in front of me, you know. And so I, I was reading an article in like a from a Canadian newspaper, and that and some people referred to this spot as the wobble zone because your two stores were facing each other and had loud music coming out. Oh, yes, the police have to come and stop us from playing, you know, because both of us is playing too hard because oh, it was like a sound clash, you know. Yeah. But I was I I was bothered in him. him can't take, one of the time I just don't play any music outside and close my store. And I had more people than him because I was stranger call and people come from all over Canada to buy a record from me, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. But this is how it become a better business. Business is competition, you know. Sure. And while he's there and I am over the next day, we, 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 we cause a thing where more people is coming in. So both of us were really living it. It, it did not offend me, really. Mm-hmm. Were you keeping up on, like, the latest music, Caribbean music for your store? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I get music from Jamaica and all of that. I have friends who import jamaica music and you have people who that, that is their thing to import record and sell it to the little record store and, and i have my way out of getting music out of new york and all of these places <laughs> so in the in the late 70s and the 80s were you seeing a growing increase interest in reggae music oh yes 
during the time I mean Canada, it wasn't just me alone as an artist. You have many artists were there. You had um, Jackie Me too. Um, you have um, Colin Davis. You have um, Ernest Smith. Um, Johnny Osborne. You have the Eptones. All of the Eptones. So after a while, we, it it keep going from there. Yeah. Till we, we start to have quite a few shows and all these things in Canada, reggae shows and with some band called Chalawan. Some nice things start to happen. Start to do because I do many recording in Canada, you know, with the Chalawa Bon and Leroy Siblis and the Eptones and many, many more people. Yeah, I want to talk about so you recorded a lot of singles in uh in the sixties and stuff in Jamaica. Uh, yes. In in 1976, you released your first actual full length record, "Forward in the Land of Sunshine." Okay. Yes, that was done in Canada. Did Did you think like, okay, now it's time to do an actual LP? I, I'm curious about the decision to go LP at this point. After you... no, 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 it wasn't a decision. It was just an opportunity where I meet around some guys in Canada. There was the these same guys were some member from the Chalawa band, so, but I think it has a different name in that time, Half Moon, something like that. Yeah, but it was my choice for um, making LP or not. And I just love to sing, and then I had so much song singing with them that they decided to put out an LP. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So a lot of a lot of what you sang and and how it was released was just based off upon. Uh... The people you were working with and yes you were happy you were happy to go record and sing as much as anyone would let you right oh, oh yes because to me it was like the original style of jamaica recording it was just a little basement studio like about eight chucks and just normal thing you know yeah yeah but yeah, but there's something about that lp i don't know it is so loved you know uh, uh, Sometimes it's not too easy for me to love what I do, you know, because I feel more or less I could do it better and all of that. But this album is an album that so many people love, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, we skipped over something, a, a part of your biography I, that we should probably just touch back on. Yeah. Your name. Could you tell people the story of how you became named Stranger? I want to try to change that, you know, but I'm going to tell the story again. Okay. It was, yeah, it was said when I was born, I didn't resemble anyone in the family. So my parents said, this is a stranger. Yet when I growing up, they didn't really call me stranger, but I could remember when I'm a younger man, where I start to have knowledge of remembering things. I could remember my mom told me this story about they say I was a stranger. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when I grew up uh, to be a bigger guy and all that, I'm the, they say I'm the dead stump of my father. So I wasn't really a stranger. Anyway, when I when I came in the music business, you know, and my friend them started to call me Wilburn Cole because that's my name. I thought more or less if I was going to be a singer, I should use something that sounds different, you know? So I think more or less that I should use um, Stranger, which I did. And here I am, Stranger Cole. 
Yeah, I mean that's that 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 has more of a that has more of a, a pizzazz to it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a music, you know. Yeah, like Stranger Cold. It's kind of different, you know. Yeah, it catches your attention. Yes, it does. So you 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 did some more records and you did more touring in the late seventies and eighties, right? Mm-hmm. I've been working all of this time. Maybe not as much as now, really. But yeah. I never, I never stopped working, really. But then there was like a gap of time where you didn't put out a record again until uh, 2006 with the morning train. Yeah, you, 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 you know a lot of things. Yeah, but I did, <laughs> I, I, I did some one and two thing differently, you know, because during those time I put out about two LPs in Canada, one called the Patriot, mm-hmm. and the next, and another one too, I think, and I put out. I did over just like a river on the micron label and I did a whole LP. No, I did about seven, eight tracks on a, 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 an album called, um, Capture Land. That's the name of it. Uh, Eyes of a Lion. All of these things were made in Canada too, you know. So I was doing a lot of recording. And then, like you say, I went to live in America for a while about a four or five year and I didn't make any record then. Hmm. So maybe maybe yeah, maybe you sound right. And I make one and two little single around here, but I never do too many recordings until hmm. I go back to Jamaica. What did you fill your time with while you were in America? Oh just stage show, you know, I wasn't getting them so much, but I have some little clubs club that draw your weekends time and all of that like in LA and I survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So we were kind of talking about this at the beginning and also before we recorded that you've, you've been, especially like after COVID, you've been in high demand all over the world. Mm-hmm. I, I was before COVID. It's like COVID come and ease it down and because I was touring intensively before COVID. COVID just come and stall it for like, I would say, Three years, yeah. I think we're in three years now, don't? Yeah, but this year you got like stuff all over the world booked for this year. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I have many shows coming up, you know. So I think that it's on its own way back now, you know. And the people is happy for it because I thought more or less they need the music, and I need the people. So it's music and people. And stranger, how how old are you now? I want to tell you the truth, you know, I don't know my age too much, you know. And then sure. I, 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 I hate to tell people that I am XY because, you see, in my time when I was born in Jamaica, they didn't have anything about registering people and all of that. So okay. when I grow up, I just take any time they gave to me, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe I am 10 years younger now, but I'm in my 80s right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. But I mean, you're not a, you're not a young man anymore, but. Oh no. But I feel you. Yeah. That's one of the weird, I mean, I'm, I'm 46. I still play in a band. Yeah. He is a baby, but that's how, that's what, uh, yeah. That's what people uh, always tell me, you know. When you were younger, did you think you would still be performing at this age? No, really. I don't know. I wouldn't say that, you know, cause you know, you can't predict your life sure. and all of these things really, you know, so. I, 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 I just open and live for long life. And I, I, I even have a song that is entitled more life, you know, and 
most of the time I'm talking to people over anything, I always wish them more life. So maybe it's some of my wishes coming through. I just believe in in living, you know, because yeah. it don't have any time limit, really. Mm-hmm. I want to, so I want to talk a little bit about you, you playing all over the world. Um, when do, do you remember when that started, when you started to really get a lot of demand all over the world to be playing? Okay. It was, it, it, it was when I, um, I, I leave America and go back to Jamaica. Okay. It was, um, it was around an independent time where they have this big show at the national stadium. And I went to Jamaica and I went by um the corner. You know, in Jamaica, you always have some corners where the singers, them hang out, like Randy's are up by off a tree and all of that. Anyway, I went up off a tree around the singers' corners and I met a man who said, oh, stranger, cola, glad I see you. Um, the government is having a show now at the stadium in the independent time. I don't remember what year that was. Maybe around about the time you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So um, the man told me if I would come on the show. I said, sure, it's a long time. I don't been on a show like that in Jamaica. So he told me that the Jamaica government don't pay too much money. Don't go lick money. So... He told me, like, the Jamaica government going to pay me about 20000 Jamaican dollars, which is really a bit of money still. But it's the first I ever hear so much money for the longest time to sing on a show. So I said, yeah, man, 20000 I said, yeah. I said, okay, go to the office tomorrow, and they would give you half of it. And, and then the night I perform at the National Stadium, and at that same night, Millie Small were there. I think um, at the big black man name again, Nelson Mandela. I remember Nelson Mandela was there. Wow. So what a, what occurred that night? It was um, being a man performed before me, and they they boy being a man. Cause maybe he sang the wrong song at the moment. Anyway, them boy being a man, but being a man was a big artist. Still, is a big artist. So after them boy being a man and him come up, the the the, the, the um the, the the MC guy told me that stranger call is you now, you know. I said, no man, you can't make me go out now. You see them just boy being a man. What what them are gonna do with me? I'm a long time in you know, a singer. The man said, it's you going go out next. Man, I was so nervous. Anyway, I went out and sing with. I think it was the Fab Five band or one of those bands. And I sang rough and tough. And I had this, the whole stadium rocking. That's how I have to be walking around the stadium. The whole stadium get up for me. And then after the show, I was told by my friend that I mustn't go back to foreign and live. I must stay in Jamaica because this is the place for me. And I didn't go anywhere. I live in Jamaica from that until now. And so... That is where I started to tour. I see. From that show. Yeah. You got the story, don't you? So you 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 travel you travel all over the world, um, but the audience, you know, there's like a, a younger a younger audience that appreciates your older music, right? Not really all over the world, you know, because the world is a very big place. And then I still have I still have a lot of place, but I've been to many places, you know. 
where do you feel like people really appreciate your music in terms of the, the places that all over the world I can jump in all all places that have never been you know I get feedback from all these places some country want me to come there and thing like that because the music that I'm in which is the Jamaica music is one of the biggest music in the world today so people like they would call me a legend and all that people want to see me all over the world just to know me or meet me or thing like that yeah it's got to feel pretty good. Oh, yes. I just need some money now, you know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I just wanted to ask one last thing. I, I My favorite song is uh, Crying Every Night. Oh, that's one of yours. Yeah, that's a good one. Can you, can you just tell us anything you remember about recording that? Okay. Uh, um, I I was at this Jukid studio again. You, I was passing by this studio and going there, and a man named um, Byron Smith. He was an engineer, and he had this rhythm. So he asked me to sing a song on it, and he he played it for me, and gave me a cut like on a cassette tape, and where I could study the rhythm, and then I sang "Crying Every Night," and then um after that um Upton Lewis sing a next song on it about I think it named Tom Junk. Mm-hmm. So that was that was one where the. The, the lyrics came after the after the music yes something like that yes oh wow so crying every night came out of the cheddarite studio but it was produced by a man called byron smith mm-hmm. it's one of my most popular music right now and then i have another one just come out of germany called um rude boy that is just come out of Germany like a few weeks now. Yes. Nice. So you must try to get that one. Yeah, I have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in, uh, I think it was 20, uh, so it's 2002, Legends of Ska documentary. There was a big concert put on. Oh, in Canada. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you remember that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you remember about that? Because this is a documentary that I guess has technically not been released. I, I, I saw... I saw a version of it like four or five years ago at a film festival, but yeah, it's not technically out there. No, it's not out there. But it's amazing. Like it's amazing. Not only does the documentary tell the a lot of these good stories, these cool stories, and more history of this music. Yes, there's this there's this concert that's kind of ongoing throughout the documentary, where yeah. you're part of that. Um, there's so many legends in there, but a lot of them have since passed. So it's oh, you you could say that again. And I want to tell you, you asked me what I remember about it. The most thing I remember about it is that so many people who were in it had passed away, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's so sad, you know? And it hasn't been out in the public as yet, you know? Some people see it in some little theaters and some other little places, but it hasn't been out fully. But there is another one called Rocksteady, the Root of Reggae. That one is all over the place. Yeah, you were you were asked to be the narrator for that, right? Yes, I'm the narrator for that one. Yes. So they just they just reached out to you and said, "Hey, you need to be, you know, we want you to be the narrator." Yes, they thought I was polite enough. <laughs> <laughs> were they right? I think so. <laughs> okay. Yes, and I was paid good too. Maybe that nice. made me to be more polite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. 
Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Ska, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.